welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and we are up to episode 50, which is crazy how fast the last 12 months has gone. And we've interviewed so many people from around the world that are involved or associated with the equipment rental industry and learnt their story, learnt about their company and their history. So for episode 50, I wanted to interview someone that I've almost seen as a mentor from afar, someone that's got a great company that's really giving back to what they call the dirt world, but it's associated with the construction and equipment rental industry as well. And that person is Aaron Witt from Build Witt. Now, before we get into who Aaron is, Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited excited to be here and talk, talk equipment and all things dirt. So just to break it down before we get into who Aaron is, about a year ago, I was on LinkedIn and I saw a gentleman by the name of Dan Briscoe post something on, on LinkedIn about uh, what the new ideal customer is. And it was this amazing post where he was talking about BuildWit, which I had no idea what BuildWit was. And it was talking about how important it is to make sure that you match the correct customer with your company and make sure you match the values and all those sort of things. It was a really, really good post. And I, I've actually told a lot of people about just some of the stuff that was in that post. And I actually messaged Dan, thanking him for the post and he messaged back. And as time went on, I sort of started seeing more of build with. I think once you get connected with someone, you start seeing more of that person's content and what they're associated with on LinkedIn. And I started seeing more of these photos appearing up on my LinkedIn and I didn't really put two and two together on who Aaron Witt, Build Witt, and Dan Briscoe. But I kept on seeing all these photos appear up and up and up. And then I interviewed Brian Peters from Advanced Track. And then also when he was back when, with Heavy Equipment, Rental of Texas. And we were talking about you. And then I realized, wait a second, these guys are all connected at the same company. Like I didn't put it all together. And that's when I realized that you had a podcast, you were helping people build their marketing plans out, you're doing the, the job side of it. There's a whole raft of things that you're building up. And it really related to me that, as, as you say, you wanted to make the dirt world a better place. And I thought the, the vision that he's going on, I, I can completely relate in, on what he's trying to achieve. And I think it's an awesome thing that you're doing. And I'm just a little drop in the ocean with my podcast compared to what you're achieving with Build Whip. But I really wanted to connect with you on episode 50, just to talk about who you are, what you're doing for the construction industry as a whole, and just learn more about you. So again, thank you, Aaron. But could you just explain who is Aaron Whip and what is Build Whip? Yeah, man, I that was one hell of an introduction. And you're, you're in a good company, Dan. He helps me run the company. Um, he's been with us since the beginning and I worked with him before I started the company. So we go a little ways back and couldn't do anything uh, that I do without him. And then Brian Peters, just awesome, awesome dude. He's on his own now, like you said, with his own business and he's finding his way. And it's, it's been, it's been fun for me to watch, you know, from just a little ways away as a friend and help him out wherever possible. I just saw him not too long ago in Nashville. So I, to answer your first question, I'm just a kid that um, has always loved bulldozers, heavy equipment. I 
for for people that haven't heard much of my story i um started out just loving equipment when i was a little kid had no family in the industry um, no immediate ties to heavy equipment or construction or earth moving or anything of the sort my dad's a lawyer um so i i just admired the industry from afar growing up um i had a unique opportunity to go work on a, a ranch in montana when i was just starting out high school um, and learned that hey i want to choose something that I really uh, enjoy and that excites me for work because I have the opportunity and luxury to do so. So I evaluated my life, thought about what gets me going and said, Hey, I, I think I want to make a career in construction and earth moving and bulldozer. I don't know how to get around this equipment, but I want to try to find a job that gets me around this stuff all the time. So I, I started as a laborer uh, when I legally could in the United States at 18 years old. Uh, started out on a pipe crew at the bottom with a with a shovel you know, at the bottom of the ditch, just working my ass off. Worked for a few different construction companies. Went to college, got a construction engineering degree. Plan was to go work in in the industry and go start a construction company so I could buy equipment with my name on it one day. Um, while I was working in the industry, shortly after college, I started sharing what I was doing online. I had all these pictures from my phone and uh, I would take a camera to work and I would put them on the internet and people seemed to really enjoy it. Uh, there weren't, there wasn't a whole lot for photos and happenings in the industry online just a few years ago. It's really picked up lately, which is awesome. We need as much of it as we can, but I uh, started sharing. It, it took off, quit my job, said, Hey, I'm going to go try to make something of this. And one, two, six, here we are today. Um, BuildWit today, you know, it started with me just running around with a camera, running around the United States, visiting job sites, taking pictures, putting them on the internet. Now it's, we have a, a full-blown creative agency that does anything from video projects to websites to big design projects. I mean, really anything from a creative standpoint, storytelling standpoint for dirt world companies, um, equipment companies. Uh, mass excavation companies, mining companies. It's a ton of fun there. We're building out an online leadership training platform, which is launching any day now. We're really excited about that. It'll be training specifically tailored to the dirt world, available online to anybody at any time, which we're really excited about. We're developing an app for the dirt world as we speak. It's in development now. It'll be out later this year. Uh, we do recruiting. So it's, we're all just, as you mentioned, surrounding our mission of making the dirt world a better place. So it's a family of businesses doing a few different functions for earth moving dirt world companies to ultimately make the dirt world a better place. So that's my very long explanation as far as what the, what the heck we do. That's awesome. And so how old were you when you first started BuildWit? I was 23. Um, I started it on my 23rd birthday. Um, I, I made it just a year out of college and worked two different jobs out of college and had enough of it pretty quick. So I just said to hell with it and started traveling around trying to find as much dirt as I could. And so talk me through how BuildWit evolved then from, because 23, like that is a very tender young age to start yeah. a company. How did BuildWit evolve then? Uh, I mean, first I tell people I was dealt a really good hand. I was, you know, raised in a good household by 
uh, smart parents that let me do whatever I wanted to do, which within reason, but they didn't ever force me into some kind of career, um, didn't have any debt coming out of college, anything like that. So I was, I was really free to do everything I've done. Um, so I, I was set up pretty good. I, I don't want to make it seem like it was, you know, my genius that allowed all this to happen. I was just kind of in the right place at the right time mostly, but it, it's all about, it was, at least for me, it was all about just getting started and putting myself in a position where I had to make something work. So by quitting my job, put moving in with my dad, giving up my life that I had built thus far, which was pretty, pretty nice. Actually, I was making pretty good money out of school, give all that up, have no income, no plan and have to create something from scratch uh, was a huge motivator for me. So I just first, um, it was really just a, I explained it to some of our team the other day. It was really just a selfish endeavor um, as far as maximizing my time around heavy equipment and job sites. It was a means for me to just get on as many job sites as I could and take the pictures I wanted to take and share the industry with as many people as I could because I love it a lot. Um, and as I started doing that, opportunities just began to emerge. Um, someone asked to, for us to do their website. And I said, sure, we'll make a website for you. Someone asked for a video. Sure, we'll make a video for you. Someone asked for this. Someone asked for that. And you, you know, naturally, you, you find people that are really talented at building websites or design or video. And, and you, you bring them on board and you sell them on the vision and show them the industry and they get all excited about it too. And other people, because of social media, other companies start to see that work more and more and they reach out and they say, hey, that video is pretty cool. Can you do it for us too? And we say, hell yeah, we can do it for you too. Um, so it was just getting started was a big step and then just seizing the opportunities as they presented themselves. Um, being disciplined, especially now, as far as what we say yes to and what we turn down, it's not that you should say yes to everything. You should say yes to what uh, works well for your business and works well for what you want to accomplish. Um, but it's, it's, it's really just been about seizing opportunity. Yeah, it, but I can't imagine the pressure that you would have had when you would have brought on your first few employees still being at the age of 23 with the risk of cash flow and all those sort of things of starting a business. Because what was the evolution? Did you start with Dan as the first employee or was there additional employees? Like, How did it sort of grow out? Because you mentioned you used to work with Dan previously. Yeah, Dan, so he left the company I left to start the company at a similar time that I, I did. And, and he went off to work for a few different companies um, while also working with us part-time. And, and he really worked for us for free. And so he would spend about half of his time at his day job and then would give us, you know, the other half of his time and work at nights and weekends to, to help me out. And I say us, it was really, you know, really just Dan and I kind of just being as scrappy as can be uh, when we initially started. We had a few other great people helping us too um, early on, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, the interesting thing is there, there is a little bit of pressure, but I think my age is an asset, uh, as far as I'm just really naive and I've always just seen it as kind of the next evolution and, and okay, Hey, I can't do this all on my own. Okay. So I need to get people and there's no sense in stressing about it or worrying about it. Like, this is just kind of the next step. It's like, when you want to start a business, you create a business. It's just, okay, it's like I'm on step five now and that says hire people. I guess I'm going to hire people. 
and, and sure there's that pressure, you, you, you know, now we support about 50 full-time people and, and a lot of part-time people too. Um, there's, there's pressure to make sure that they have a paycheck they can count on so they can support their families and create the lives they want to live. Um, but now I, I feel like a lot of business owners, they look at payroll like a, like a burden, um, almost in like a negative light. Like it's just such a, such a drag. And, and I look at it as a, a really, really exciting thing. Uh, every time we get to hire more people and spend more on payroll, that's, that's more, you know, those are, those are, those are people we're supporting and, and people we're giving opportunity to, and they have families, you know, holy smokes, we just hired someone with five kids. Now we're supporting five children too. And then we're supporting, you know, the, their impact in their community. And it's, it's such a big, big expanse when you can bring more and more people into the business. So I, you know, early on, it was just something I needed to do. Uh, it's always had some pressure and, and there's a great sense of responsibility surrounding something like payroll. But now I really view it as a, uh, an opportunity and um, as a privilege to be able to pay out what we do in payroll and give that much money to that many people, because I know that creates a huge, huge impact in the world. Bringing 50 full-time employees into a business is a, is a big achievement, but having the culture within an organization is also really important as well. And you spoke just earlier about leadership that you're releasing. So how does leadership and the culture fit into BuildWit as well? I didn't really understand how important leadership was until recently. We've been doing a lot of work with Echelon Front, um, which is uh, connected with Jocko Willink. Um, extreme ownership, dichotomy of leadership. They, they, he was a former SEAL team commander, uh, created a consulting business focused entirely on leadership. And we've been uh, in a very fortunate position to, to work with them closely over the past two months, developing our Build with Leaders platform. And that's really the, the center of everything is the quality of leadership. And um, it's, again, it's a huge responsibility. And I, you know, up until now, when you just have a, you know, even 10 people, 15 people, you can reach everybody. And so building culture and, and that kind of thing isn't all that hard because you can, you can get to everybody and you know what's going on. Uh, when you start to get to, you know, 30, 40, where we're at now, um, you need to rely more and more on the foundation, on the culture, on your ability to lead. And as you go further, further down the business, um, further down the path, you need to elevate your ability to lead. And it's a skill and it can, uh, it's perishable if you don't practice it. And the business, the business can outpace your ability to lead as well. And then you're screwed. So I've never spent more time than I am right now developing myself as a leader. Um, and as far as culture is concerned, early on, I identified the need and importance of having a, a greater purpose, a mission to the business, which is where we created um, the, the mission of making the dirt world a better place, which is really centered to our company. And that's been huge as far as building culture is concerned. And then a set of common values that everybody can um, look to and, and use as a, as a compass in their day-to-day -day actions. And that's something I also rolled out in that first year of business that's been completely foundational. We wouldn't be where we're at today if we didn't have our values, we didn't have our mission. Um, and not to say that we're at, at all perfect. We are so dysfunctional. It's not even funny. And we have just 
more problems than we know what to do with right now, but they're all good problems. We're headed in the right direction and we have really great people. So I'm, I'm excited to, to, to see where we go, but the reality is we're always going to have problems. We're always going to be have cultural issues. We're, you know, as we double our team again, like we did this year, it's just going to add another layer of complexity and new relationships and different challenges. So you, know, you, you try to make the best foundation you can try to make the best culture you can. And then um, from there, it's just becoming a good leader and, and managing everything effectively. And so how much did the, the purpose change over time? Maybe not purpose. How much did the business change over those few years as well? Like you mentioned that a lot was on the fly. Was it each week? Was it each month? Was it, was it each year that the, I guess the goals were changing at all? Dude, it's like every day, like we'll have the most brilliant idea yesterday. And today it's the stupidest thing we could ever have thought of. Like, like build the leaders, for example, um, three, four months ago was not a thing. It wasn't even an idea. It wasn't even scribbled on a napkin somewhere. It was not even a remote thought. And now here we are launching this enormous platform uh, with, you know, over a hundred video based courses taught by industry experts on all sorts of different subjects it's just, it's really cool to have ideas and actually make them into something or, um, you know, the office, like I'm finishing this week, it was just a dusty room a few months ago. And now it's this beautiful office and home for our, our business. It, it, the constant rate of change makes people uncomfortable. If they're not used to it, you see a lot of people come into our business and freak out a little bit because things change quite a bit and they're not used to that but that's just the reality of trying to do something that hasn't really been done before. We don't have a roadmap to follow. We can look at other great businesses out there and model ourselves somewhat on them, but what we're specifically doing, no one's really done it before. So we're just making it up. And uh, a, a, you know, the reality of just making something up is you get total creative control, which is really exciting. And in theory, it should work out really well, but you also screw up a lot. You also, make more mistakes than, than you know what to do with. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of switching directions in the middle of what seems to be something that's working, but turns out, oh shoot, it's not at all working. And now we need to go in the opposite direction. Um, so it's a lot of chaos that we're trying to learn how to manage, but um, that's just the reality of, of what we're trying to do. If we were a, a contractor, it might be a little simpler because you, you at least have a blueprint to follow. With what we're doing, there, there is no blueprint. So it's exciting. It's fun. But it's also just total chaos. And so talk to me about the recruitment side and the build with jobs, because I think that's a really interesting section of the business, because bringing young people into the construction industry and into the equipment rental industry, for me, is a, is a real problem. I think there's a lack of people coming through. And, and I, with the Rental Journal podcast, want to promote the industry as much as possible. It was, that's almost the, the purpose, like I would say of the Rental Journal podcast to promote as much about the stories of people that are out in the industry. And I think one of the challenges around that is people are always talking to me on the podcast or outside of the podcast about the challenges of recruitment of bringing people into the business. So talk to me about Build With Jobs. Just to highlight, you know, you have that higher purpose to the podcast and that's why you're at you know, episode 50, like a lot of this takes a lot of time, right? It's not, 
it's not just something you you do real quick. Like at least I underestimated at first before I po- started podcasting. It was like, holy smokes, this is just so consuming. Then you're probably not making a killing from it, or at least if you are, I need to talk to you how you're doing it because we're not making a killing from ours. And and yet, you know, you know, you are making a difference. And we have all these messages from all the people that listen to our podcast saying they have a new career uh, because of the podcast, or they feel just so much more excited about the industry because the podcast, and that makes it all worthwhile at the end of the day. But Recruiting, we're doing a few different things. You know, the primary business was telling stories. I think that is the easiest way to attract new people to the industry. I think there's a big perception problem. We haven't told our story well as an industry. We've hidden it from public view and it's caught up with us. People don't understand this world exists and let alone makes a great career, not just that exists, but it's actually a great, great place to work. They don't even understand that fact. You know, if your company's struggling to attract people, I couldn't recommend telling your story more. Um, and that could be, that could be a podcast that could be uh, writing some articles that could be sharing on LinkedIn once a week, that could be starting a, a Facebook page or sharing different projects that you've done in the past on your website. There's so many different mediums to, to tell stories and we need every contractor in the world to be shouting stories from the rooftops. If we're going to make a significant change in this industry and make sure we have the workforce we need long-term, but more specifically to us beyond just storytelling and storytelling is a big piece of it. I like we have many, many, many hundreds of messages at this point from people uh, in different careers and, and working for the companies we work with because of the stories we've told, which is really awesome. You know, we, we've, we want to go beyond that. And I think the next evolution of that is it's, you know, it was build what we call the build with jobs, which was just a, a website, uh, purpose-built job board for the dirt world is, is, was our first product. We created it early last year. We didn't spend a whole lot of money on it. It was kind of a, a minimal, minimum viable product to see if it would work. It worked pretty well. And now we're, we're developing an app. It'll just be build it online. It'll just be the build it app to build a community uh, surrounding the dirt world. And we want, you know, everybody that we can get on in one place in the dirt world. We want, if you're an, if you're an excavator operator, this is the first place you go when you wake up and you get on your phone is not Instagram or LinkedIn or anything like that. You go, you go to build it online because it's a, it's a tailor built community for the dirt world where people can share what they do day to day, where um, they can find new jobs or, or companies can post new jobs. And um, where they can see what what's going on in their company, what other jobs are doing. They can com- their company can communicate with them more effectively. If we can get everybody in the industry in one place, that's a pretty powerful tool. Um, so that's that's what we're working on now. It's still in its infancy. It doesn't totally exist yet. It's currently in development, so it's not just um, theory anymore. It's designed. It's in development, uh, but that'll be the job functionality. It'll be it'll be um, Think of it like a like a social media platform where you share stuff and, and connect with people and a job board and a means to see what the heck's going on within your company or a means to communicate with the people at your company. So it'll be a combination of a lot of different things online, but tailored exclusively to the dirt world. It should be pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. And talk to me about internal podcasts. 
Internal podcasts these days are probably the most effective way to communicate with people within a business. It's especially in this world, it's crazy how effective it is to pass ideas back and forth utilizing a podcast. So we have what an internal podcast is. It is what this is, but it is just made for the company's purposes. So we have a BuildWood internal podcast where it's me and Alex talking about internal BuildWood happenings that's just distributed to BuildWood people. It's not available to the public. Now, is it top secret information? No. Could it potentially find its way out to the open? Potentially. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's not even, it's not, it, it wouldn't hurt us if it made its way out to the open because it's information that's relevant to our business. You know, the way we utilize it is we, anyone can submit questions from within the company and we answer them as honestly as we can. And it can be anonymous or it can be have, have their name attached to it. And that's the discussion. It's just once a week discussion of what the hell's going on. Um, so like a question this week was, you know, our new office in Nashville is just about done. Someone asked, are we going to be requiring everyone to move to Nashville? That was the question. That's a great question, man. Uh, and, and okay, yeah, sure. There's probably a little bit of anxiety with some people saying, whoa, hey, the business now has this home. Am I going to be required to move my family to a whole different city because of this job? And it just gives us an opportunity to, to hash it out in a very informal, authentic setting. And then that, the, the company can consume it whenever they want. And the reason why I said it's so effective in this world is because there's a lot of windshield time in the industry and in the earth moving world. People are driving a long ways. And what can you do while you drive? You can listen to podcasts. And, and so that's how we use it. A, a lot of our partners utilize it to just share what the heck's going on in the company what kind of new jobs they have going on, uh, you know, what big changes they have going on. Maybe they have uh, open enrollment for their, for their benefits, for example. Maybe they want to talk about safety a little bit. Maybe they want to highlight some of, their, some of their people for some really cool stuff that they've done. Uh, maybe they got an award. Maybe they just bought a new piece of equipment. Whatever it may be, best practices. Um, so they can craft whatever kind of show they want. And it's best when it's the executives. Um, I know the best example I've seen is the, the Sergeant Corporation podcast and Herb Sargent's on there leading the damn podcast. It needs to be from the top. Uh, it's, it needs to start at the top and he takes it real seriously and he does just a wonderful job. And I know the entire company really appreciates it. Definitely. And so <clears throat> what was your first exposure to the equipment rental industry? First exposure to rental was when I had my first construction job. No, rental, I think, is is misunderstood. I think everybody or a lot of people, they think that you just own everything, own every piece of equipment on a job site. Uh, and that's just not true. So I think I that's what I thought was, hey, if I drive by a construction site and it's John Smith Construction Corporation, John Smith owns all that equipment, that's pretty badass. Not the case a lot of times. Um, and on the job we had, we had a bunch of rented equipment. Uh, just smaller pieces that we didn't need to own necessarily. And as I've uh, worked more and more with construction companies and started to understand their businesses more and more, the case for rental is only getting better and better. Rental is only going in one direction right now. And it's not stopping anytime soon. It's, it's, I've learned it's oftentimes so much better to rent than to own, but there's this weird 
misconception that you have to own everything. And there's this uh, pride component to it as well. It, it, you know, you like it on the balance sheet. You like to talk about how many pieces you own. You like to have it branded in your company name. You like it to, to say your company name when people drive by and look at your job site. Um, but a lot of times it just doesn't economically make sense. Are you seeing a shift in just the contractors and construction companies that you work with where they actually are leaning towards renting more equipment rather than putting it on their own balance sheet? Well, every rental company in the United States is experiencing record growth right now and can't keep machines in their yards. So yeah, uh, I mean, that's proof as far as, yeah, this, this, this is really starting to take hold in a much uh, greater sense. And, um, you know, I know Caterpillar, for example, has crazy aggressive rental growth goals, and they wouldn't have those crazy aggressive goals if they didn't see enormous opportunity there. So I do think it is changing. Um, I think people are just becoming a little bit more thoughtful about how they operate businesses. I think the next generation is starting to make itself, make its way into leadership roles. And that new generation is a lot more willing to question why things are the way they are. And if they don't make sense, they are, they're more willing to go in a different direction, which is a, a, a big change. And there's just a lot of work going on. Um, and so just from an availability standpoint, a lot of contractors just can't go buy equipment right now. They have to go rent it to do the jobs they have on the books. So there's, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the rental world. And we actually, on Build With Leaders, we discussed this exact topic of you know, do you rent or do you buy? And we get into equipment economics because I think it's something that a lot of people really don't understand. Yeah, it's interesting on talking about the cat side and probably this is for all dealers as well. I feel like there was a period where the sales reps were only focusing on selling equipment. And as you mentioned, there's, there's an aggressive growth for rental. And I remember I was talking to, I can't remember which company it was, but they, they were saying that they had to basically sit down their sales reps and explain to them how to sell rental because they've been taught for 20, 30, 40, 50 years on selling. And now they're getting told to go out and sell rental. And it's a completely different dynamic. Uh, it's it's going to change. And I think it's great that you're even putting up a leadership component around stuff like that, because there needs to be more content around explaining to people the benefits of rental, not only just from the customer side, but from the business side. Oh yeah. You know, it, it... You know, the, the, the dealers, and I just had a conversation with someone the other day, the ones that understand that the, the customer's best interests are their best interests do very, very well. So the ones that are smart enough to say, hey, maybe it's not in our, it's not in our customer's best interest to sell them these two excavators. Maybe it's better to rent them those two excavators because we know they're not going to put that many hours on them. Or we know that uh, they need some level of flexibility, or we know that we can just do it cheaper by, by the hour, which is very possible. If you can just even out um, the, the equipment cost and just give them an hourly rate rather than have them having to worry about maintain and, and you maintain it and them having to worry about maintenance and depreciation and all of that jazz, you know, if, if they make the customer better, their customers better. Their, their customers' business is better. They can go do more work. They can get more equipment, and ultimately, the dealer's better. But it's it's the ver, it's the difference versus you know tactical versus strategic. You know they think tactically. They want that sale, that next sale. 
even though strategically it's not in the cu customer's best interest. But if you think about if you think about it from a strategic standpoint, hey, yeah, maybe maybe my numbers are going to be down this month because I could sell these two machines. They want these two machines, but I'm not going to do that because it's not in their best interest. And instead, I'm going to suggest that they rent because I know that yeah, I'm going to be down this month, but over the long term, their business is going to be better. I'm going to be better at the end of the day. But once they trust you, you come become that trusted advisor. And they come to you with a problem saying, hey, we've on this new job site, this new project or whatever it might be. How do we solve this problem? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world. And, and as you said, there's record numbers. So it is amazing seeing that growth. And then on the, the website side, I wanted to talk about two areas. One on the, the contractor side of things. Now you build out websites, but there's, I've noticed that contractors that I've dealt with, uh, and especially in Australia around safety, safety is like huge at the moment. Like everything is just making sure that all the white tape is all sealed and everything needs to be perfect. And part yeah. of that is around trying to provide as much information to people in the field about the equipment that they're working on. And people are talking about doing this through some type of portal. So you had to scan equipment and then see how to use the machine, the service history, risk assessments, uh, swims, operational guides, whatever it might be that relates to that piece of equipment. Have you seen much of a push from that in terms of building that into a website at all? I think more and more online stuff's coming. I, I don't see it still all that. It's not all that prevalent still. It's still pretty old school. Like I wish I could just, from a rental standpoint, I wish I could just go on to the the rental store website and just say, I need three mini excavators and okay, cool. It's this going to, it's going to be, it's like, like go renting a car. For example, you go on the website, you choose what car you want. It gives you the options. You can click through it. It gives you the rate right there. And you just say reserve. And now you have a machine ready to go. Like, I wish it was that simple, but a lot of times it's not. And I'm sure that's out there. I, I don't rent all that much, so I don't know. Uh, but it would be cool to, to make the rental experience a lot simpler in that regard. And then from an information standpoint, the more information out in front of people, the better. I, I, it, there's this weird stigma in this world uh, uh, about sharing information. People don't like to share information in this world. And I think that does everybody a disservice. And, and so if you can get as much information about equipment, how to utilize the equipment, best practices, uh, you know, maintenance state, what, whatever it may be in front of those individuals that are actually using the machine, everybody's better off at the end of the day. They're safer. They're utilizing the machine more effectively. They're, uh, you know, hopefully treating the machine a little bit better. So there's less wear and tear there. And then, um, you know, the rental company has a happy customer. It's, it's both sides win when you're exchanging information back and forth. Yeah. I think your analogy to the, the car rental industry is probably a good one. Like if you were to ever rent a car and were forced to call them or to go there in person, Screw like you, that. Would, you would never do it. You would, you, you would go to enterprise, you'd go to Avis or whoever it would be as the, as the alternative. And it, it has to change. And as you mentioned, because there's a the younger generation is coming through into leadership in these companies, their expectations on the services that they deliver are going to be much higher as well. Having things at their fingertips, being able to do things quickly, being able to serve customers online and get transactions and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's a huge opportunity for equipment rental companies to dive into that market and serve people online and provide as much information online because rental rates is a great one. 
people are scared to publish their rental rates online. It's like people need to get past that, that, that border. They, they're going to find out eventually. If you're a rental company, do you know your competitors' rates? Yeah, you do. I would almost guarantee it. So if you know your competitors' rates, would you say that your competitor knows your rates? Probably, probably. So they already know. They already know. And me as a consumer, I want to see that. I, I, that's why I, we, we, I, I do uh, business a lot with, with a company called National Car Rental. National, I get to see the price. I book it. I don't have to talk to anybody when I pick up my car, and it is awesome. I just show up. They have a car, a row of cars lined up. I get in whatever car I want. I show them my license at the gate. I'm on my way. I don't have to do any paperwork. I don't have to sign anything. I don't have to talk to anybody. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And when I drop it off, leave the keys and walk away. Again, don't even have to talk to anybody. It's so easy. That's We've been programmed to think that consuming things is that simple. And that's just how things are now. I don't know what to tell people. Uh, and, and, you know, I get it. Like the previous generation didn't do things that way. And I'm not saying the relationship doesn't matter. If that car breaks, I'm definitely going to want to know who I need to call to make that thing work again. Same thing with the piece of equipment's concern, but I want to be able to make that decision. I don't want to have to jump through three different hoops to get myself a mini excavator. I just want a damn mini excavator. Just get me a machine. And if I need anything, I'll give you a call. And I appreciate the relationship we have. I appreciate your help, but also I don't want to talk to you sometimes. And it's not, not anything personal. It's just, that's how we've been programmed. It's all so simple. And, and whoever figures that out in the rental world, I think is going to do really well. But even on the other side of the spectrum, let's say you rent a mini excavator or an excavator or a skid steer and you don't want it anymore. The process is that you're meant to call the rental company and do a call off rent. Or you went to email yeah. them to say you don't need it anymore. Why can't you just do that online? Why can't you just go online and say, hey, come pick this up. I don't need it anymore. Or you could be even more proactive than that. You could be the rental company looking at the telematics and saying, hey, this, uh, this 320 excavator, they haven't run it in two weeks. And they've had it on rent for two weeks. They're paying for it. Shouldn't we call these guys and say, hey, do you want to call that 320 off rent? Because you're not using it. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even know it was sitting. Thank you. Like, you can take it a step further than that these days. And and again, maybe that happens. I I am ignorant on this subject, but from what I've seen, it doesn't happen as much as it should. And and yeah, I when I want to call something off, like that's just a pain in the ass. I remember when I was managing work as a field engineer, and you have to worry about calling stuff off rent all the time, or else you're gonna get billed for this, billed for that. Like this just sucks. This is this is not fun. And it feels like the rental company's after me. Like the rental company is trying to get as much money out of me as they can. Nope, nope. Sorry, you didn't call it off rent. You're screwed. Like, what the hell? I I, I didn't even use the water truck, man. And and I sorry, I forgot to call you yesterday. And now you're gonna charge me an extra week because I forgot to call you. It's just it's stuff like that that I look at. I'm like, that's just that's there has to be a better way to do it. Yeah, but I agree. Whoever can figure this out, and look, there's a couple of companies out there that are doing this pretty well, but I think the the telematic side of it and taking that data to provide information out to the end contractors or end consumers of the equipment is probably a little bit of a hint of what the future looks like as well, because yeah. you combine that data with their rental information online to, the, to give that customer 
a better experience around almost seamless. Like I like to call it the Amazon effect. It's like you could buy something in like two clicks. You don't even realize it's there and it gets delivered in 30 minutes to your house somehow. Like it's, you want that experience and you want that trust with those rental companies about the information that you are um, got on that piece of equipment at any point in time. And, and I'm not saying that I, I you know, want to uh, eliminate rental sales reps. Like it's still a super valuable role. It's just a different role. And I think a lot of them are, they're not eager to, to adapt and make the experience more fluid because they, they're, they feel like that's a threat to their job. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you're thinking about a right, that should help your job. That should help you rent more equipment, make the customer happier, and then just give you more time to just build that relationship. Just stop by their site and see how the hell things are going. Hey, you need anything? Or, hey, dude, I, I, so we, we rented you this machine with this, this bucket on it, but I, I stopped by the site the other day. There's this other bucket we have that's going to be way better for you. Let me, let me bring that down to you. Like now you're just focused on building relationships rather than taking care of paperwork, answering phone calls. You're just, now you're not just busy all day. Now you can really focus on how do I really take care of my customer? Now you have even more time to do that. So it's a, it's a win-win all the way around. But I see a lot of people, they're just, they, they see it as a threat to their job security. I'm like, well, that's, that's not a very good way to look at it. I think, I think you look at it as the best damn thing that's happened to your job as, as, a, as a rental rep. So I, I still... I, I still see so much value in people and so much value in inefficiency and so much value in human connection. I just think it needs to be framed a little differently. And just speed of delivery as well. If you're a, if you're a rep on a, on a job site and you're talking to a customer about a requirement, if you, let's say, take the old process, if, if you write it down on a piece of paper and then you take it back to the office, then you give it to the office and the office creates a contract and they go through that process and, now you're trying to allocate equipment and all this sort of stuff. If you can do that while you're on the job site with the customer as a sales rep, there's another means of making the whole process faster. I've already put the reservation in there. They're organizing the delivery for this afternoon or tomorrow morning or whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah, I, I see it as there's a lot of opportunity there um, for the people that are that are hungry to get after it. And, and I see it all as just really exciting stuff. I, I know some people don't, enjoy it but i think for a majority of people it's headed in a very very positive direction all right so i want to talk a little bit about who played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective you know it's it starts like most people with with my parents they again they gave me the opportunity to just explore life unencumbered um i feel like a lot of parents they you know they, they didn't life live the life they wanted to live so they tried to get a second shot at it through their children and they, they live through their kids and they have the best of intentions, uh, but they, they, they make their kids live this life that the kid doesn't really have a whole lot of interest in. And there's some value in you know, kind of hurting your kid into different things that they wouldn't otherwise be involved in. But there's also a lot of value in just letting your kid be and letting your kid explore life for what they, what they want it to be. So my, my parents did a really good job at that. Both my, my mom and my dad had just allowing me to pursue whatever excited me. And so when it was you know, me uh, going to work at the aquarium store uh, for my first job ever, they were like, sounds good to me. You can go work at aquarium store. Sure. That's, that's awesome. Uh, or, or when it was, Hey, 
hey, mom, I'm going to go get in the ditch for the shovel when I'm 18 years old. I don't really need a job, but I'm going to go become a, a laborer on a construction crew in the middle of summer in Arizona. They didn't talk me out of it or they didn't say, well, isn't that beneath you or anything like that? They were just like, sure, two thumbs up, have at it, bud. Um, and I think that's really helped me get to where I am today. Yeah, having that that support from your parents is is critical. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of people do push a second life through their kids and they force them down a path to to become an accountant or a lawyer or whatever it is that they're sort of pushing or a doctor or they they don't want them to do a certain job, which I think is really disappointing. Like if someone that's got passion, let them go. Like obviously if they need help, you can sort of guide them. But in the end, like you need to learn through your own mistakes as well, yeah? It's on as you go through it and you make those decisions and you, you pick yourself up and then you keep tracking ahead again. Totally. I mean, some, it, you know, someone can tell you the stove's hot, but sometimes you need to go over there and touch it to really ingrain that into you. And so if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? I, I've, I've talked about this a little bit. I would, I would, especially when I started the company, I would be a little less brash and a little bit more patient. I've learned that saying inflammatory things about people doesn't get me very far. And I still have a bad habit of that. I sneak it in there every once in a while, but I've uh, become a little bit more tactful and thoughtful about how I do it. If, if I do it and I do it a lot less than I used to do it because I learned it's not a very good strategy. So it's not, I used to just like kick and scream and uh, basically tell everybody they were wrong. Even if they are wrong, what's telling them they're wrong going to do. They're just going to, tell me to kick rocks and, and I'm not going to get anything accomplished. So I would have been better off if I was more patient, more thoughtful, uh, and a little bit more tactful in how I approached people when I started the company. And that probably relieves a little bit of mental stress as well. Yeah. If you're constantly in battles yeah. with people, it puts stress on you. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Well, it's good that you can reflect on that. And that's probably still like you're 26 years old. That's still something to learn at quite a young age. I think people go through life uh, constantly trying to debate or argue or whatever is, is with people around things. And if you can take the maturity and that, that probably has come a little bit from the leadership that you've, you've learned as well. I think there's probably mm -hmm. a combination of people around you that are sort of shaped and formed the person you are today as well. Yeah. And, and that's just a basic leadership principle too. It's uh, if you want to get someone to do something, uh, you want it to be their idea in a genuine sense. And so, I, you know, I should have been asking myself, well, how do I get these people to draw this conclusion on their own? Because it's in their best interest to go in this direction. They don't want to go in this direction. How do I get them there? With And, and how do I get them to want to be there? Um, and, and that does not involve telling them they're idiots is what I've concluded. Very true. And I like to ask everyone this question. How do you define success? Um, there's a component of our mission. You know, what kind of impact can I create in the dirt world? And how, just how much of a better place can I really make it? Um, uh, but like to me, and, and this just happened the other, the other day, yesterday, I think it was, I was just looking at, you know, people that work at the company will send me thank you cards every once in a while or our, our customers will send us, send me thank you cards, like handwritten personal thank you cards. And I have them hung up in my house. And that's to me, like, that's really what's most important here. And 
it's really fulfilling to me to know that I'm making a significant difference in people's lives. And it sounds super cliche and super lame, but I get so much satisfaction in knowing that I really am making people's lives better. And that's go back to going back to like payroll, for example, I want to hire more and more and more people. I want to have a massive company because that means I can impact many, many, many lives. Uh, and so that's, that's really, you know, my, my, I want a huge company and I'm not uh, afraid to talk about it. People think it's like a, a financial thing. And sure, I, I want a bunch of money one day and I want a ridiculous life, but that's not the motivator. That's just kind of a side effect. The motivators are, I want to make the dirt world a better place. I really want to care for and, and help the industry I really love and, and make the future very bright. And also I want to deeply impact as many lives as I can. And I see the best way to do that is to employ as many people as I can uh, and bring them into our business and our culture and, and trust them and, and give them opportunities that they've never had before. So um, that's, that's, I think, how I would describe it now. What a great way to finish. Laura, Aaron, really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks for having me. This was great. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Arts Hire.